The dry evening wind rustled across the plains. It flapped the canvas of the wagons, the ancient Conestogas, the Pittsburghs and flatbeds, and swirled the dust of the milling horses and livestock, mingling it with the rising blue-gray smoke of cook fires. It ruffled the tops of the sage and buffalo grass, sweeping over the ground to where the girl stood on the slight rise, lifting the curling edges of her blue-black hair, making her narrow her eyes against its grit-laden breath. Serena Walsh drew her faded shawl closer around her. The wind was from the mountains, lying like a soft lavender cloud on the horizon. It was cool and fresh after the heat of the day, holding the feel of autumn in its ceaseless embrace, despite the prairie daisies of summer that nodded about her blowing skirts. Soon, within two or three days more of travel, they would reach the mountains, reach the towering landmark called Pike's Peak, the shining mountain of the Spanish explorers who were the first white men to see it. At its base was a town, almost a city, filled with normal, happy people, religious people, yes, but not fanatics. There, please God, she would leave this plodding wagon train with its harsh-spoken men, its women with downcast eyes, and its children who never smiled. Serena flung back her dark hair in a gesture of freedom. Her finely molded features were set in a look of defiance, and there was a determined expression in her blue-gray eyes. She was not a Mormon. She would not be a Mormon. Let them frown at her unbound hair and uncovered head, at her unseemly independence and solitary habits. Let them purse their lips at her bright-colored, close-fitting dresses. She did not care. It was true that her dresses hugged her a little too well. Her shape had taken on added fullness in the years since her mother had made them for her as a girl of sixteen. It could not be helped. There had been no way to replace them. Three years... As incredible as it seemed, it had been only three years since she had known a home, a settled way of life. It seemed forever. From the direction of the wagon train came a call, a shrill demand for attention. At the sound of her name, Serena turned her head a fraction. A woman stood with her hands on her hips, staring in Serena's direction. Even at that distance, Serena thought she could see the spiteful frown that twisted the woman's sallow, vindictive face. Elder Greer's second wife, Beatrice, considered it her duty to chasten the Gentile creature her husband had foisted upon her, to recall her to a sense of a place as a woman. She could see no reason why Serena should be allowed to escape her portion of the tasks that had to be done before supper was ready for the men. Doubtless, in Beatrice's tainted view, Serena was making a deliberate spectacle of herself. Certainly she had hinted as much often enough. Serena could not see how she could be blamed for the attention she attracted. It was only because she was so different from the drab, submissive women of the train that the men watched her from beneath the brims of their sober black hats. No idea of enticing them had ever come into her head, no matter what anyone said. Look at Elder Greer, pausing in his task of pouring out a meager ration of water for his saddle horse, shielding his gaze by a pretense of wiping sweat from his brow with a grimy rag. Even the leader of the train could not seem to become used to the sight of her. From all indications, the story of the temptress Jezebel and her bitter end seemed likely to crop up again in the elder's sermon tonight. Beatrice called again, a goaded, strident shout. Serena gave a small sigh, pretending not to hear. As far as she was concerned, she had no duties to the Mormons, men or women. She had not asked to be one of the Greer party when her father and mother had died of typhoid three weeks out from Missouri. Indeed, she had flatly refused to accept that dubious hospitality.
The elders, meeting in council, had ignored her objections. She needed protection, they said. She was not capable of seeing after her own livestock or driving a wagon. She must have someone older and more learned to tell her what she must do, to guide her steps toward righteous womanhood and shelter her immortal soul from evil. They had appointed Elder Greer, or rather, he had appointed himself, since he was the leader of the saints. She was to join his family. His aging, gray-haired wife of twenty years, Agatha, humble and soft-spoken. His second wife, Beatrice, with her mousy brown hair and round hazel eyes filled with fear and spite. And his third wife, Lessie, a simple girl with pale, blonde, almost white hair and washed-out blue eyes that held not a flicker of understanding, though her body beneath her shapeless gray gown was ripe and yielding.